Today's passage reading is from John 14, 26 to 31. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the word, world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Okay, thank you, Joyland, for including us in your awesome VBS. Uh, on this last day of VBS, this last Sunday of August, uh, we'll also be having our final message of four in the current series from John 14 on the theme of comfort. Uh, by way of recap, uh, I'm going to project the titles and verse sections we've covered. Talked about the uh, comfort of the eternal home Jesus is preparing. We take comfort in knowing the presence of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And then obedience, that's actually the comfort zone that we need to find ourselves in. Uh, for today's section, as I try to glean a sub-theme, I thought about the idea of passage. Uh, in, in the verses, there's a lot of movement words, such as send, leave, give, going, coming. And we also commonly refer to the text as a scriptural passage. So I opted to organize the rest of the sermon around the various usages of the word passages. So here's uh, how I want to talk about the word today. First, the passage of, in, of death, what that means. Um, how do we take comfort in uh, passing through death. And then um, what I call the paraclete, which is the Holy Spirit. Um, how does uh, what the Spirit will do for us, uh, his teaching, how will that uh, contrast or supplement the uh, direct rabbinical teaching of Jesus? So how will the passage from the Son's ministry to the Spirit's ministry differ? And then um, Promises, right? That's a strict kind of different usage of the word passage. Uh, the scripture passage, right? These were all about uh, promises of comfort that Jesus gave them. So uh, let's tackle perhaps first the biggest subject head on. Uh, we often refer to death as a passing on, a passing away, or a passageway. Uh, the death of Jesus is imminent. It is preoccupying his mind more than the sadness and darkness that Jesus will be experiencing. He's burdened with how his disciples will fare once he is no longer in the land of the living. Uh, the specter of death has always been the fearsome reality for human existence. Death is unavoidable, inevitable, inexorable, and obscure. No matter the platitudes or the well wishes, 
or even beautification of this terrible future, there's no way of escaping uh, having to undergo death. So how should we understand death, let alone prepare for it? Even more so is the difficulty of untimely death, be it illness, accident, COVID, uh, injustice, God's purpose, what have you. Uh, Jesus will die an untimely death. It will be cruel, bewildering, and lonely, but in God's redemptive plan, essential. So Jesus wants to prepare his disciples um, for his passage into death. And as we've been examining, the way that he comforts them about the death that is to come is by assuring them of his return that he will die, but that he will come back. So verse 28, you heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. He's of course referring uh, to the short-term return through the resurrection from the dead. But also he's talking, I think, about the future permanent return slash gathering slash taking of his disciples to their heavenly home. And both of these would be conceptually radical, right? Uh, while there were some inklings of a general resurrection from the dead, uh, or an eternal resting place. What Jesus did, the individual, the specific, the personal, the historical uh, rising from the dead, that would have been considered quite um, preposterous. Ergo, the disciples, uh, numerous times, they just express rejection or skepticism at what he says about the resurrection. Yet, in terms of trying to comfort someone about death, it really is, I think, the best way to reverse, if you will, the anguish and the agony that death will bring. Right? To make death um, impermanent. Uh, to show that Jesus will return from a place where nobody ever comes back. So that eternal separation is not in store, but a blessed reunion. Jesus will walk will again walk the face of the earth. He will indeed eat and share life with the disciples. Jesus was going the way of the world, but unlike anyone else, he was definitely coming back. He would trailblaze the path to life, eternal life, for these disciples to uh, eventually follow. Right? And that changes everything. Comfort is a real option, even in the face of death. You know, as we just saw the blessed children, you know, um, as they're in, in the infancy stage and maybe even into the toddlerhood, um, the issue of like separation anxiety, that's really real, right? That's really a big thing where the presence, the comfort, the nurture of a parent, especially, uh, allows attachment and bonding. And so to, you know, not have that to, to um, be separated from their parents. If the parent goes to work or the parent gets a childcare provider or something, even like on Sundays, we see the uh, kind of the difficulty of separation anxiety. But as kids grow older, they begin to understand that the parents aren't leaving them for good. They're coming back. They're coming home from work. <clears throat> They're going to come back from the dinner, uh, the, the date that they had with their spouse. Uh, uh, they're going to pick up the kids at the end of Joyland, whatever the case may be. The promise of return can change everything is what I'm trying to uh, say. Right? And that's what Jesus is offering. That's what Jesus is 
um, trying to instill in the disciples that uh, he will come back, that the passage uh, into death need not be uh, permanently or ultimately or completely devastating. Now, of course, Jesus's power over death is unique. Everyone else who says, oh, I'll be back, or I'll find you somehow in the afterlife, or what have you, <clears throat> this has no real substance. It's merely a loving sentiment. But Jesus's ability to be victorious over the grave makes this passage totally different, and in terms of our theme, incredibly comforting. Yeah, That's why Christians should make it their priority that we share the hope of the gospel to all, especially to those whom we love. It's God's answer to human death, right? the resurrection. It's his solution to the gargantuan problem of death and ultimate sorrow. Okay, the next uh, comforting passage uh, relates to the coming of the Holy Spirit, or as he's called in verse 26, the counselor. Um, as mentioned last time, uh, Jesus spoke of uh, another paraclete. Right? The Greek word is paraclete through whom the disciples would experience the presence of the triune God. Uh, while he was on earth, Jesus had mediated the Father's presence to the disciples. And then after his resurrection and ascension, <clears throat> Jesus, while residing in heaven, would be interceding on behalf of the disciples, asking for their uh, empowerment to perform mighty works to propagate the gospel of the kingdom. But more specifically, and more to their comfort, uh, Jesus says <clears throat> that the Holy Spirit, once Jesus is in heaven, the Holy Spirit would be sent in Jesus' name to provide the very presence of God to the disciples. So from last week, when I, we introduced the word uh, paraclete first came out, uh, it can be understood in numerous ways, all of which help us to get a fuller understanding of the meaning of the word. So sometimes it's translated counselor, sometimes it's comforter, advocate, right? Um, in its basic form, one who is called to, one who is called beside, to render aid, to provide strength and uh, support. In today's verses, uh, we learn a bit more of how the paraclete would comfort us. His ministry is not only through his presence and empowerment, but through um, teaching, through the elucidation of what the disciples have already learned, what Jesus had said, what he, Jesus taught the disciples all along. Words that they heard but maybe did not understand or could not understand previously, it would be given reminders as well as illumination. This would bring about a further deepening and further comforting between Jesus and the disciples. Um, Mona told me that when she was a kid uh, in, in elementary school, there was this one kind of crisis of learning moment. Uh, her teacher was uh, telling her about geography and had a map on the wall and said, this is north, this is south, this is east, this is, I'm not sure if I oriented right, but this is south, this is west and east. And Mona was like, she's puzzled because she goes, north is in the sky up to the heavens because it's pointing up, right? And then south is like into the ground to the other side of the earth. You know, that's the befuddlement uh, that she had. And I think she asked a question to the teacher and the teacher goes, oh, no, let me put the map on the ground, right? And this 
from the from this dimension. This direction is north. Where's north for us? <laughs> this direction is north, south, east, west. And that, she said, provided comfort because it made sense. She processed it. So I'm wondering if the Holy Spirit does that kind of help to us. Right? A lot of things in the Bible can be abstruse. It can seem contradictory. It can seem hard to believe. But the ministry of the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, right? He is enabling us not only to do great things, but to understand great things, to believe great things, to be convicted of great things, to apply uh, great things. Right? And, and I hope that uh, biblically that's true of you too, meaning that when um, you uh, encounter something difficult in the word, like, for example, um, you know, this concept of reward, right? It's just, it's clearly there in the Bible, but how should we understand it? It seems like I don't want to do this because I'm going to get rewarded or, or given special treatment, right? How do we resolve that? Yeah. Well, I remember hearing, uh, being taught once that um, there's this passage in Revelation which says that the crowns that we receive as reward, you know what we do with it? We don't wear it to glorify ourselves or to, to stand out, to be distinguished from others. The, the, the Revelation passage uh, shows the, the crown bearers uh, laying the crowns at the feet of Jesus. In other words, another form of worship. And that kind of like made me a lot more relieved. It helped me like uh, appreciate more this concept of reward. Right now, there's other times where I struggled with something and uh, like a Bible passage, whether it's intellectually or in application, and just at the right time, God the Spirit provided an understanding, a way to make it come alive, and it changed so much. Right. And even in maybe today's world, right, today's time, we need that kind of, you know, deeper understanding, that kind of comfort. Like, for example, when I read the latest data or the latest explanations, the latest projections, the latest um, COVID protocols, right, I'm just like overwhelmed. I don't know what's going on, right? I don't know what it means. I don't know what's going to change. And so it really helps like to talk to the doctors in our church because then when they you know show me how to understand it it's so comforting right um, we still struggle through it but it's that kind of idea that i think can really be uh, beneficial uh, for us another aspect of the holy spirit's ministry to us i think i want to describe it as um, guidance or, or leadership um, you know, as we go through life, one of the passages that, one of the things that we have to go through, passages uh, in our Christian journeys, is change, right? I mean, we've already talked about COVID, and we talk about it all the time, but changes and transitions, and, and sometimes we don't understand, we can question why it's taking place. We might under, not understand the rationale. We might dread the result. You know, things change. Institutions change. Um, cultures, mores change. Methodologies adapt. Governments as well. Right? I just I kept thinking about Afghanistan. Right? Like I, I don't even want to go into the the um, the political reasons. 
but you know, I was just thinking from an Afghani perspective, if they wanted the West or the US to continue to uh, help out there, the fact that they were, the US was withdrawing must have been very, very kind of bewildering. It's like, why is this happening? Why is there this kind of, of change? Right? And that would be very uh, painful. That would be very kind of uh, the farthest from comforting um, uh, we can uh, think of. And sometimes it's that kind of passage that we have to deal with. I think the disciples could have asked that. Why is Jesus going away? Why can't he stay here forever? If he's going to come back from the dead, then he can live forever with us. But Jesus says clearly, right, that uh, he has to go, right? That he did what God called him to do, the purpose that God sent him. And then now it was the Holy Spirit's turn. It was better, right, that the Holy Spirit, that Jesus go and the Holy Spirit come. That he, they would have to accept the reality that he would not be physically present on earth with them. Yet because and through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the disciples could be the body of Christ. They could experience aspects of Jesus's ministry and person that they knew nothing about or had no personal knowledge of previously. So in John 16, uh, Jesus states it this way, unless I go away, the advocate, that's a paraclete, could I get the slide, slide four? Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Right? So somehow, in God's wisdom, having Jesus there in Palestine, you know, living 2,000 years, that wasn't what was best. That wasn't um, what the Lord had planned. And so only when Jesus uh, ascended, could the Holy Spirit come and then uh, provide the kind of ministry and blessing uh, that they would need. Uh, this would be a new experience. It would be a hard experience. And certainly uh, the fear of the unknown as well as genuine concerns and problems with what faces us. But with the right paraclete, if you will, the passing from one stage to another can be fruitful. Um, it can be of the Lord. Right? Um, <clears throat> there's this interesting part in the, in the passage where Jesus talks about uh, that he's going to give them peace, right? Amidst all the turmoil, amidst all that was going on, um, it would be a peace, it would be the peace of Christ, right? It would be a peace that the world could not give, uh, a peace mediated uh, through the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I don't have time to kind of really delve into that a little bit, but sometimes I think the familiarity, the, the comfort of doing what we've always done, right? Um, that relying on things that you know we've kind of found to be solid and, and helpful uh, sometimes i think that can maybe degenerate into this kind of worldly peace yeah um 
It's kind of like uh, when you're hungry, if you eat the wrong kinds of food, if you eat junk food, temporarily you might be satisfied, but it doesn't really, you know, sate your hunger. It it's not good for you. Right? Like a worldly peace to me is like a ceasefire. I mean, that's good. They're not, there's not active hostility, um, but there's no guarantee that it's going to last, right? Or maybe disarmament is a little bit better. Put down the guns and, and, or destroy the nuclear stockpile. That's even better. That's peace, another step in peace. But in a sense, um, you know, it can all once again deteriorate. Once again, it can fall apart. And it's uh, what I think that that's the best of worldly peace, right? Because the reason that you know we have conflict, the reason that there is wars and aggression and hostility is because the human heart decides, I ain't going to take this anymore. I'm going to take by force. I'm going to fight. I'm going to conflict. So I, I feel like what the Holy Spirit does is it changes. What Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to change the heart, right? permanently, uh, completely, uh, uh, authentically. And, and that is the kind of uh, ministry, that's the kind of work, that's the kind of transformation, the metamorphosis, right, that the Holy Spirit can do for us um, in ways that maybe even Jesus the Son on earth uh, could not. So even in this kind of tremendous passage, Right, this passing, uh, there can be comfort. The last, the third and last, I want to take the title comforting passage is to use the word, as I said, not as a transition or a change, but uh, more as like a portion or section of a written work. For example, you know, we read the passage of scripture, right? And I want to kind of um, focus um, on these words, uh, maybe the entirety of John 14, maybe the entirety of from 13, 14, 15, all the way to 17, right? This, this last discourse uh, is that it's one long passage, right? A long writing of or recording of comforting words that Jesus is offering his soon to be bereft followers. And Jesus is well aware that once he's gone, um, what can help the disciples most is actually his words. Uh, as uh, unreliable and disappointing our words, human words can be, God's word is actually the most solid asset, right? It's the most precious thing that we have. I mean, we might have thought that other things would have been better for Jesus to leave. Weaponry, strategy, money, reinforcements. In the time of need, these can be very helpful. Uh, but instead, what does he do? He leaves them words. And, and more specifically, he leaves them promises. Right? So there's something about the promises of God that they're in, right, that... Uh, there lies comfort, a divine comfort. Right? So the promises that Jesus made, uh, the words that were spoken, they were in advance of the events. Right? Jesus knew what would shortly ensue. 
So he lets his disciples know that they would not only be, so that they would not only be unsurprised, but that they would be reassured. They would be confident that what had befallen Jesus and, and them eventually was not ultimately disastrous. God knew what he was doing. It was part of a larger work of God's redemption plan. And these promises uh, would provide the greatest long-term benefits, right? So you think about it, we have, of all the things that the omnipotent God could do for us and, and, and leave for us, you know, for the, the foundation of the Christian faith, the foundation of our Christian lives is the word of God, the promises. Okay? The Bible is one long book. It has a surfeit of writings and promises from the Lord. Not all of the promises, some of them have been already fulfilled and many are still waiting to be realized. And if you're like me, sometimes I feel like words are not enough. Promises are not enough, even if they come from God. Uh, but in fact, in fact, that's what uh, the, uh, the scriptures, that's what the Spirit emphasizes. The promises that the Lord gives. Faith comes from hearing God's word, it can indeed produce comfort, strength, and even endurance. Uh, about 10 years ago, there was this movie. I don't know if you watched it. Uh, the Book of, I don't know if it's The, maybe it's just Book of Eli, Book of Eli, right? And uh, I remember watching it with some brothers. Um, it's a post-apocalyptic neo-Western movie, okay? Uh, Denzel Washington is a traveler who carries the last remaining copy of the Bible, and he's convinced that he has to get to California, uh, Alcatraz actually, to uh, a repository of surviving art and culture and bring the, bring the Bible. Uh, the villain, his enemy, is uh, played by Gary Oldman, and he tries to take the book by deception and then by force. Um, and it's Oldman's view that I kind of want to look at. Oldman believes that the authority of the Bible, when wielded, and he wants to wield it, it would be a weapon aimed at the hearts and minds of the weak and the desperate. Uh, he says, it will give us control of them. They'll do exactly what I tell them if the words are from the book. It's happened before and it'll happen again. All we need is that book. Right? So he does everything to get that book and he eventually takes it from Denzel, but the copy that Denzel has is actually written in Braille because Denzel is actually blind. Um, and because Oldman is unable to read it, it doesn't help him at all. But because Denzel respects the book and he values the book, he's been memorizing the entire Bible um, as he's traveling. So when he gets to Alcatraz, he's able to dictate the contents of it to the curator of Alcatraz. Okay, uh, I don't know if you want to watch the movie or not, but uh, I'm just trying to say that um, the view, uh, Oldman's view was he wanted to harness that to you know, pursue his selfish agenda because he understood the power of the word, right? Yeah, even a fictitious and kind of whatever cultural rendering of it looks that way. How much more should Christians, how much more should I, how much more should you, you know, find comfort in the passages that God has given us? Yeah.
the promises of God. Uh, sometimes that's all we have to go by. But, um, you know, as we saw, like Esther in the VBS skit, and disciples uh, through church history, they stared down persecution. They overcame danger and death, uh, holding on to the only thing they possessed. The words of the master inculcated or further inculcated in them by the Holy Spirit. All right, that wraps up John 14. Um, are we experiencing peace uh, today, uh, even in the face of COVID, even in the face of change? Can we survive the trouble that the prince of the world wreaks? Uh, do God's promises bring true comfort to you and me today? amidst all that is going on. Uh, let's take a moment to pray and reflect.